0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. First John chapter 3, let's go to verse 18. We'll be at uh, verse 18 through 23. Um, We did I did preach from verse 18 and 19 last week, so I'm just going to touch on that. Um, but this is this is a part of the, the 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 book of First John that we've been walking through. He says, "My little children," this is New King James Version. He says, "My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth." Notice he says, "My children." In other words, this is written to Christians, people who are children of God, a part of the family of God. They've come into fellowship and relationship with Jesus. He says, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's what we're talking about. It's what apartment life is. It's what Keep Kids Fed is. It's what our pantry ministry is. It's what a lot of the the toys that we give out on Christmas, a lot of the things that City Chapel does is to love in in deed, in action, and in truth. And he says in verse 19, by this, we know that we are of the truth. And look at this, and shall assure our hearts before him. (laughs) So much of 1 John is about this statement right here. How do I assure my heart before God? How do I know that I know that I know him? <laughs> uh, as, and I, as I've been preaching, I've been talking about that. There are various thermometer passages. These thermometer passages sound pretty harsh because he says things like, if we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. But then he also says, if we don't walk in the light, then we are, we are liars and the truth is not in us. So there's some really harsh kind of hard lines throughout First John. It's a, but it's, a, it's not meant to be judgmental. It's meant to be clear. If you have a thermometer that's kind of like this... So you go, to, you go in your house. What's the temp, honey? It was 72, 73, 75, 78, 79. It's around 80. No, it's 78. No, it's 72. Hold on. It's 65 degrees in here. Now I think it's 72. And if the, if the thermometer is going like this, it's fluctuating up and down, you don't really know what the temp is. If you don't really know what the temp is, you, the, the, the thermostat which is the thing that, that, that increases or decreases the temperature, cannot work properly. So before the thermostat of the Holy Spirit can actually turn up the heat of His movement in your life, you have to come to an honest place and a clear place to know, am I in the truth? Am I walking in the light? Am I a child of God? And so, so much of 1 John is about that very thing. How do I know that I know? So this idea of assuring our heart, it is throughout 1 John. And honestly, God wants you to know. God wants you to know that you know. God does not want you guessing. God does not want you doubting. God does not want you up and down, left and right. Sometimes I'm sure, and other times I'm not so sure. God, I, God, 1 John is written because God wants you to know. He doesn't want you to be asking all the time. Right? Like, it's like if your kids are always in, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, at some point, like, you're going to have to, to know. We, like, you want your kids to know where they stand in your eyes? God wants you to know where you stand. And this is, he says, this is how our love for each other, this is how we shall assure our hearts before him. Let's keep reading. I'll come back to that. Verse twenty: For if our heart condemns us. Has anybody ever had that happen before? (laughs) If our heart condemns us. It's not always the case. He says if. He doesn't say when our hearts, but many times our heart will condemn us. Why? Because of our past and because of our present temptations. I know people that are condemned or feel condemned because of what they are tempted by. I know people that are condemned or feel condemned because of what they have done in the past. And the enemy reminds them of that. And so John understands that. And the Holy Spirit through John says, hey, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. Your heart doesn't know all things. (laughs) Your heart does not know all things. Your heart knows what you did. But your heart does not know all things. God knows all things. And God is greater than your heart. But look what he says here. He says, He says, and if our heart does not condemn us, this is the goal. This is where you want to be. Because if your heart does not condemn you, then we have confidence. Somebody say confidence. Yeah, that's, that's key. Confidence is key. We have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we're not beggars, because we're not foreigners, because we're not strangers, but because we are children. How do we know we're children? Because we keep his commandments. We do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. That's it. That's his commandment. That believe in Jesus and love one another. Humans have a profound way of complicating stuff. And it's not complicated. He says, believe in Jesus, trust him for your salvation, lean not on your own understanding, believe in him and love one another. And he says, through this, by this, we will assure our hearts." So today I want to talk to you about how... Do I assure my heart? John is basically this is, is, is this is a this is a a, a a metaphor he's making, right? Because essentially, your heart in his in his language is stepping out from you. If our heart condemns us. Well, your heart's a part of you. But he's essentially saying sometimes what is inside of you acts as if it's not a part of you, right? So your inside may condemn your outside and say, no, 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 I didn't do that. That was you. That wasn't me. Like, that was you. And, and your inside will point fingers and judge your outside. And, and that doesn't mean that you're confused or you have multiple personalities. That means you're human uh, because your soul, your spirit is you know within you. And sometimes your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions will accuse your, your flesh of certain things. And so, and, and so what John is saying, actually, instead of simply ignoring the inside, there's something your outside can do to your inside. So your inside is accusing your outside, and then John says, actually, your outside can do something to your inside. And this is what your outside can do. It can assure your inside. It can assure your heart. My prayer for you today is that in the next hour and a half, that you will get some kind of revelation. I'm just kidding. It's not going to be an hour and a half. I'm going to try in the next 30 minutes, that you will get some kind of revelation of the love of God. That will empower you to do something to yourself, to assure yourself. Because you can come to church and you can have me assure you. But if I assure you, that's going to last for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning, and then you're going to go home, and you're going to live in questions and in doubt. And my prayer is that the Word of God can bring revelation and wisdom and the Spirit of God to you so that when you walk out of these doors, even if right now you're not sure, within 30 minutes of understanding the Word of God, that you will begin to learn how to assure yourself. So first off, do you believe in Jesus? That's the necessary thing. Have you trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you leaning on his promises? And secondly, are you loving others? If you are doing those things, let me, let me tell you how to assure yourself. Uh, the word assure, uh, I think it's in, uh, uh, in, in uh, well, I was going to say in the NIV, it says to quiet or to calm. Uh, it's, it's an interesting word in the original language because it's the word pathos or patho uh, is the verbal form of it. And patho or pathos, if you, just, if you just Google patho, it's interesting. You will find that patho or pathos is the Greek goddess of persuasion. Yeah. And so now John lived in the time when Greek mythology was the primary religion of the day. The Romans adopted various parts of it. And he used the word patho or pathos when describing what he wanted us to do to his heart. So as I began studying this passage, I was like, man, who is this Greek goddess? And why am I supposed to be like a Greek goddess? (laughs) So uh, this is a good thing. You, all, all you husbands, you can use this later on this evening and just preach to your wife about the fact she's a Greek goddess. Uh, but but you also need to learn how to be a Greek goddess. Because John says that we need to patho our heart. We need to pathos our heart. We need to assure or persuade Our heart. And so as I looked into Patho or Pathos, this Greek goddess, she was the goddess of persuasion. She was the constant companion of Aphrodite. You might have heard of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of goddess of beauty, and especially sexual beauty. And uh uh Erotica, she gave birth to Eros. Uh, And so Aphrodite is the goddess, the most beautiful goddess, the goddess that all the other gods wanted to be with and all the men wanted, all this. Like she was the top of the line, Aphrodite. But even Aphrodite knew that beauty is not enough. So she got pathos as her constant companion because pathos is seduction or persuasion. And so Aphrodite, the most beautiful goddess in the whole Greek mythology, knew that beauty wasn't enough. She also needed persuasion. And here John is talking about Jesus, who is the most beautiful, the most glorious, the most loving, the most patient, the most forgiving, the most powerful, the most faithful, the most honest, the most true, the most good. The most beautiful being, even more beautiful than Aphrodite, even more attractive and beautiful than any Greek imagined character or characteristic. But he knows that beauty is not enough. And as somebody who's been pastoring for quite a while, I can tell you the beauty of Jesus is not enough. People can see the beauty of Jesus and then look at the ugliness of themselves and feel condemned and walk away from the beauty of Jesus. Why? Because beauty is not enough. There must be persuasion. <laughs> That's why Victoria's Secret is in business. Because <laughs> beauty's not enough. Okay. Well, anyway. <laughs> you can talk about that after church, too, if you want. I'm just saying. It's a billion-dollar industry. Because beauty is not... Because seduction plays a huge role. Because beauty without seduction... Beauty without persuasion can oftentimes lead to a feeling of inferiority. If you're just around somebody who's beautiful and they act like they don't want to be around you. (laughs) They have no persuasion. They have no gifts of persuasion. They have no charm, right? Have you ever noticed people are beautiful without charm? You feel like, huh. You don't want to be, you, you feel like you don't want to be around them. And, and 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 that's why John says our hearts may condemn us because as you get close to Jesus who is absolutely all of the things that I talked about he's beautiful he's true he's faithful he's kind he's just he's loving he's he's patient he's joyful all at all times and you start to get close to Jesus and you recognize you are not hardly any of those things and you start your heart starts to condemn you your heart starts to say you don't belong in this relationship you don't belong like she's way out of your league <laughs> i'm mixing the metaphors here but but you can understand because because as you get closer to jesus the closer i get to jesus the more i recognize how unlike jesus i was which is why he says if your heart condemned you he's talking to christians because non-christians don't have a condemning heart because they're so far away from jesus He's a tiny speck on their radar. And most of you could agree that when you were just living life according to your own rules, doing whatever you did, you, 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 you weren't sitting in the bar thinking, Oh, am I going to heaven? I don't know. <laughs> right? Like, you weren't, because you, you, you didn't care about it. You didn't, it didn't bother you. And so the very fact, number one, if your heart does condemn you, it probably means that you are a child of God. It probably means that you do have faith in Jesus. Because prior to that, your heart would never condemn you. But if your heart does condemn you, it's probably because you're starting to get closer to Jesus. And you're starting to see him for who he is. And you're starting to recognize that you are very much unlike him. Which means you need persuasion. You need to learn how to persuade yourself. Seduce yourself. So I got my three S's today. The Holy Spirit wants to give you the power to seduce yourself. To seduce. That means to, seduction is really, it's an offer of intimacy. To put out an offer of intimacy. It's one thing to see someone who's beautiful, but then when that someone who's beautiful acts like they think you're beautiful, that's called seduction. And this is, this is what, this is what John wants us to do with our heart. Wants us to remind our heart how beautiful Jesus thinks we are. You have to remind yourself that. You have to. It's amazing the amount of Christians who will sing, yes, Jesus loves me because the Bible told me so, but then will act as if Jesus doesn't like them. Jesus loves me because he has to because he loves everybody, but he doesn't want to be with me. He doesn't want to hang out with me. He doesn't like me. He just loves me. But no, God likes you. He's attracted to you he's i mean the very fact that you're here means on memorial day weekend during a pandemic means that he's flirting with you (laughs) this is one of the most awkward sermons ever i know but hang with me texans it's okay it's okay you're going to walk out these doors you're going to use these exact same terms about something completely different and it's going to be okay (laughs) <laughs> I'm telling you that, that that persuasion applies to what Jesus has been trying to do in your life all along. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's been winking at you different times in your life. Yeah. He's been letting you know he's interested at different times in your life. He's been sending you sweet text messages at different times in your life. You thought it was so-and-so, or you thought it was the job opportunity, but it was Jesus saying, hey, I'm still here. I see you. I mean, you thought it was chance that you walked away from that car accident untouched and unheard. No, like there's a God who wants to be with you, and he will, he will do whatever he can in the meantime to create the, the, the systems and the processes necessary necessary to bring you into relationship with himself. And that God, the God that would go to such lengths, including dying on a cross, rising from the dead, and the God that would go to such lengths to bring you into relationship, why is he going to kick you out of relationship the first time he sees what you really are? No, he's always seen what you are. He's always known your heart. You're just figuring this out. And so you need to get good at telling your heart what God already knows, that he believes you're worth it, that he believes you're lovely, that he believes that, yes, you're not who you need to be. Yes, you're not who you're going to be. But you are exactly who he thought you were when he died for you. And so God knows all things. You're going to need to get good at seducing your heart. You need to get good at at letting your heart know how much God desires it. How much he longs for connection with you. How much, what great lengths he has gone through. All of the times that he has, that he has, he's put up with your craziness. <laughs> all the stuff he's already forgiven for crying out loud. Do you really think he's going to reject you now? Is this, did you, is, is it's, it's not the straw that broke the camel's back, all right? His love is firm, it is constant, it is consistent, and he has made up his mind, he's already made up his mind about you. He's not fickle. He hasn't found somebody else. He's not running off with somebody else. He, he is faithful to you. And his love for you is faithful. Because he is, he's attracted to you. He's drawn to you. He's drawn into you. And he is offering intimacy with you. Now, this, now this goddess of, 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 of persuasion had, had an opposite force. As most goddesses did in in the Greek mythology world, you had one and then you had the flip of that. You had the yin and the yang sort of. And so the opposite force of persuasion is this, uh, I think her name was Bia, and she means to forcefulness. What's interesting to me is I see a lot of Christians exercising the opposite of persuasion. They get a hold of forcefulness and they say, I'm going to make myself... Follow God. I'm going to force myself to believe. I am what he says I am. Darn it. I'm going to force myself. I'm going to push myself. I'm going to. But the opposite of force. This is the opposite. He wants you to persuade yourself. To persuade yourself is different than to force yourself. To force yourself says, I'm going to do something without understanding anything. I'm just going to do it. But to persuade yourself means you're going to need to present evidence for the thing that you believe. You're going to need to reach for evidence for the love of God, the affection of God over your life. You're going to need to look over your history and search out for his affection. You're going to need to look at your present life and search out for his affection. You need to stop saying, I don't know where God was in that time of my life. No, you need to find where he was. You need to find his affection in some of the most awful moments in your life. Because his affection is, is, is it's not it's not just for temper he's not in love with your flesh. Let's put it this way. He's in love with your spirit. And so sometimes he will allow things that wound your flesh and wound your emotions in order to help you not under not lean on that stuff and walk away from that stuff and learn to yearn for him. Amen. And so sometimes there's a time there's times of loss in your life. Sometimes there's times of grief. Sometimes there's times of hardship and difficulty. But even in difficulty, there is his affection. His affection is present. His affection is yearning for your attention. Some of you have been married too long. You don't, you don't remember. <laughs> You've gone into force mode. <laughs> well, why don't you do this anymore? And husbands got to send text message reminders to themselves to do what they used to do naturally. That's force mode. And we all know that's not the goal, but we settle into it. We settle into forced relationship and forced affection. And and it's not, It's somebody, we were doing marriage counseling one time, and this lady said, well, well, love is commitment. I said, man, yeah. Sort of. It involves Commitment. But love is desire. Yeah. Come on now. Love is passion. Yeah. I don't know, do we need to have a marriage sermon series or something going on? because love is not like I mean, a, a business a business is commitment. You can enter into business relationships that are solely commitment-based. Right? Like I have commitments to people that I rent places to. And we made as a church commitment to these guys that we would ma- pay the, the rent every month. On this. Like you can have totally non-marriage type commitment stuff. If your marriage is just a commitment, you need to work on that. That's not good. That's it is morphed from something, it is not it needs to be persuasion. You need to persuade your and if your relationship with Jesus is just commitment, that's not good. If you have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps every day just to talk to him? Yeah. <laughs> no wonder nobody wants to follow your Jesus. I don't want that either. <laughs> Sounds like going to the gym for crying out loud. <laughs> I know I need to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, but, like, love is desire. Yeah. Nobody needs to tell you to do it. Nobody needs to tell you to send her nice, thoughtful notes and notice what she's wearing. You Like, you just, like... No, this stuff should come from your heart. Yeah. And this is the kind. God doesn't just have a commitment relationship with you. He's not just committed to you. I'm not going to leave you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, joy. How lovely. I have a, a God who doesn't like me, but he ain't going to leave me. Yeah. No, man. He wants to be with you. Yes. Yes. And until your heart wants to be with him, you're going to need to seduce it. You're going to need to reminded of what he's done so the first is seduced the second is the power to soothe uh, the NIV says uh, we will quiet our hearts in his presence another translation for the word pathos or patho is tranquilize and so I thought of <laughs> it's gonna get real interesting I thought I thought of Jana for this because Jana is our is our resident what exactly is your title Nurse anesthetist. Wow. Okay. Like an, it's kind of like an anesthesiologist, but not right. Nurse anesthetist. <laughs> the nurse as, as the nurse asbestos back there um, is uh, she's she's responsible. Basically, when people are going into surgery, Jana will knock them out before surgery, which is a. And then you also wake them up. And she does. And it's only voluntary. She's not like sneaking up on people and knocking them out. Are you the, the wake her upper You do both. You knock them out, you wake them up. Right. And she does a few other things in between. I don't know. She went to school. Uh, but uh, it's a very important job. And if you ever have surgery, you're going to be very uh, thankful for the person that, that knocks you out and wakes you up. That's a big deal. And It's tranquilize. <laughs> pathos. So, you're, so I don't know how to say this, but you're going to have to get good at knocking out your heart. Yeah. Uh, why yeah. <laughs> at like, because basically, when, some, when, when, they first, when people first meet Jana, they're freaking out because they're about to go under the knife, right? They're going to go into a room. There's going to be some guys with masks on that have these butcher knives and uh, <laughs> saws, some DeWalt, Stuff, right? Some DeWalt, some, uh, you know, little mee, wee, 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 some drills. Like it's gonna get, like they're, gonna, it's gonna get crazy, right? So their heart's like pumping really fast. Jana has to say, hey, everything's gonna be okay, and just stick this needle in their arm or neck or I don't know how it works, but like, <laughs> some are like does she work at a hospital or what? Now I'm totally slaughtering her job, but I know that she sticks stuff into their veins intravenously. That knocks, but that basically they come in nervous and they leave like that. So this is what you, like, your heart starts condemning you because it reminds you of your past. It reminds you of your present temptation and all the stuff you would do if you could do. All the stuff you want to do. All the stuff, and, and your mind, and your heart is it's going like this. You, here's what you need to do. You need to take a needle, stick it in your heart, and let your heart just go. This is, this, this, is, this is the state of a surrendered heart right here. It's just like <laughs> drool. We're talking drool coming out. We're talking like, yeah, you're out. You're out, out, out. You're not, you're not, you're like, you don't even dream in that state. You're just so deep. You're out. And because uh, you need to be. Because here's the deal. God wants to perform some surgery on you. God wants to cut some stuff out. And if you don't let him knock you out, let me me put it this way. God does some of his best work when when you're like this. Yeah. Now, I know I know that's tricky because you believe that you are God's, like, super helper. And uh, you're going to make sure that he gets all of his stuff done on time. And uh, that you catch up to the person that was saved six months before you because, you know, it's a race. And, and I get it. I get it. I get it. But, but no, no, no. Actually, God does some of his best work when your heart is just... <laughs> I'm trying to give you a visual. I, I, I can lay on the floor if you want. But, like, just to be completely... Out of it, completely silent. Yeah, God does some of His best work when you shut up, yeah. <laughs> kids. If you're not allowed to say that, don't repeat it. <laughs> when you shut your mouth and when you go to sleep, uh, don't believe me. All right, um, Adam. Right, Adam was looking for a wife. Adam needed a wife. Adam was swiping left and, and right, and I don't know the way it swipes, but anyway, you know, he's like kangaroo, nope, lioness, nope. He's, he's searching through all of, literally, God had him search through all of the animal kingdoms seeking a wife that was good for him. And guess what? She didn't exist. <laughs> Sometimes your heart is anxious because it's searching for something that literally does not exist. You're looking for something that is not out there. And Adam is looking and looking. He can't find anything until finally God says, hold on a second, and, and puts him to sleep. Put him in a deep sleep is what scripture says. He tranquilized him, right? Boom. Right in his rear end. And he's like, eh. and, and, and Adam's out. And as, while Adam's out, God does more stuff while your mouth is shut and while your eyes are closed than with all of your running around and trying to figure everything out. Sometimes because what you're looking for might be in you. what what Adam was looking for the material for it was actually in him so God said look as long as you're looking out there you're never going to find it if you let me knock you out for a second I'll perform some surgery on you and pull out from you what was in you and create for you what you need out from you (laughs) could it be God's been waiting for you to shut up and lay down Could it be that your spiritual authority and your spirit and, and like we've, we've, been, we've been talking about the gift of tongues and I swear one of the best ways to receive the gift of tongues is to shut up about it. Yeah. Yeah. Stop making it an idol. Stop making it the main thing. No, God is the main thing and you're going to have to learn to, to knock your heart out and stop begging him for stuff. Wow. As if he won't give you what you need when you need it. As if he doesn't know his timeline. Wow. As if he's not in charge. Like, there was a time in my life when I struggled with depression pretty pretty bad, and I didn't want to ask for help, okay? I was 16. I should have talked to my parents, should have talked to my, should have talked to my pastor, somebody, but I was too prideful. I don't want to ask for help, and I was dealing with all these suicidal thoughts, and God was convicting me, and I knew I had to stop, and I knew I had to do something different, and I couldn't figure it out, and finally, God began to speak to me, and finally, I said, okay, I'll try. I'll try to do what I can. I still didn't ask for help, but the problem was that I had these thoughts in my mind, these, these, these negative thoughts, this tape that would play in my mind questions that i didn't have answers for. And so i thought okay well i'm going to i'm going to try to answer all these questions and i would sit in my room and 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 try to answer all of these questions with with maybe the bible with maybe what i thought jesus would say with maybe whatever and the problem is i lost every time. Every single time i beat myself. My doubts beat my faith every time. And i remember in prayer one time i was like god like i'm trying but I'm still, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. I'll never this, I'll never that. I'll always this, I'll always that. Because I've tried to rationalize and I can't figure out any other way. Yeah. And God finally said, you need to disengage. In other words, you need to shut up. Yeah. You need, I said, but God, I have these questions. Who? So what? God finally said, you need to say, I don't know. Right. Oh. And it's okay. Okay. You might need to tell your heart, I don't know, and it's okay. I don't know. Well, why did you say, I don't know? Well, why did you get in that relationship? I don't know. I'm not saying you'll never know. God knows all things. But here's the thing. When you're going into surgery and people are looking at Jana and they're, and they're asking, so is he going to cut this way or this way? Is, is, is he going to go that? How deep is this? What kind of knife is he going to use? Jana's like, I don't know. And... and it's okay because jan is not doing the cutting you're not doing the surgery on yourself you're not doing the healing or the saving or the resurrecting it's not on you you're not aphrodite you're not beautiful you are the persuasion you are the one that says i don't know but he's okay i don't know but he knows all things i don't know but he does and literally knock yourself out. <laughs> it's a good sermon. Good sermon title right there. Knock yourself out. All right, my final S. You have to. You're gonna. You're gonna need. You're gonna need to learn how to seduce yourself, how to soothe yourself, and finally how to stay. Yeah. Oh, wow. How to stay yourself or steady yourself. Pathos was used uh, by the Greek gods. Zeus used pathos uh, in the mythology. To, um, to help communities of humans not kill themselves. Basically, we need, we, we need a little pathos in America in 2021 because naturally people think very differently about things and very strongly about different things. And you need the art of persuasion in order for humans to start to like each other because if they don't like each other, then they'll start fighting with each other. And so every, every church needs persuasion. Every church, you need, that's why small groups are so important. Because you need to like people that go to church with you. <laughs> well, it's just me and Jesus. I don't know. It's just me and Jesus. Well, okay. But, 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 but John says, by this we will, we will assure our hearts by what? Our love for one another. Could it be that you come to church not just to meet with him, but to meet with others? And as you love others, and as you feel worth it by others, and as you feel valued by others, the love of God is communicated to you. And as somebody with flesh and skin on notices you and checks on you during the week and calls you and and brings dinner to you and helps. When they do that, then you say, wait a minute, I'm feeling now the love of God that I believe. I believe God loves me, but now I feel that God loves me. As we love one another, we assure our hearts. As we serve one another, we assure our hearts. As we bless one another, we assure our hearts. We give our hearts the sticking power, the staying power to remain amongst different people who believe differently than us, vote differently than us, look differently than us, laugh at different stuff, watch different kinds of movies. Who is it? What? The Quiet Place yesterday. Part two. uh, two, I didn't watch part one because that's. Not what I want to watch, but, but, but us who are different, very deeply different from different cultures that the world says cannot be together, right? Because, well, you don't know what it is to be my color, right? And so the world says, oh yeah, no, they need to be with people of their color. It's almost like we're going back to the 40s where we need to segregate everybody because for some reason, you don't, I don't understand you and you don't understand me. But no, like we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can understand one another. I don't I have your DNA. I don't have your history. I didn't grow up on the side of the tracks that you grew up on. That doesn't mean I don't love you. That doesn't mean I don't walk with you. And That doesn't mean that I, we are not of the same family. And so, even the Greek mythology understood you got to have a little persuasion, a little pathos between different types of people so that people won't kill each other. <laughs> this is why in the psalm he says he says he anoints my head with oil, right? The good shepherd anoints my head with oil. Why? Because if you look at sheep, whenever sheep get in fights, they, they don't kick each other with their little teeny little hooves because they don't reach up there, right? Instead, they headbutt each other, which is. Why? One, God made their brains so tiny and their, their skulls so thick so that it doesn't jar. Like, if we did that, we would have issues. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be in a, you just, your brain wouldn't work right. It would be sloshing around too much. But then they have these little brain bits that go, their, their brain goes in these little canals of bone. And so they're made to crash up against each other. But the problem is, when they disagree with each other, they butt heads. And that's the, where the term butting heads comes from. There's a lot of head butting in the church. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> there's a lot of head butting and yet he says he anoints my head with oil in other words the shepherds would put oil on the heads of the sheep so that when they butt heads they won't they won't cut each other they'll glance off each other it's like putting oil in your engine there's going to be friction in the engine but when there's friction is there oil if there's oil friction won't cause lasting damage in other words, God intended for people within the church to butt heads because he intended different people to be within a body together. But he intended them that the Holy Spirit would make sure that as we disagree, that we don't cut each other. That as we disagree, that we don't kill each other. That as we disagree, that we glance off each other. It's powers power. It's the ability to stay in a church. It's the ability to stay in a country, in a community. But it's also the ability to stay in a marriage. Uh, the uh, Zeus gave pathos to, uh, I don't know, these this one married couple because, um, because because it's important that you stay attracted to each other. (laughs) That's another sermon, marriage sermon series. You got to keep the fire alive, you got to keep the desire alive. It's what helps you stay, it's what helps you remain. It's, what, it's, what, it's the sticking power. Well, if that's true in a marriage, if that's true in a church, if that's true in a community, it's true in your relationship with Christ. You must learn to tell your heart, hey, I need this to stay with God. I need to keep the fire of passion alive to stay with God. Otherwise, as scripture tells us, the love of many will grow cold. It doesn't say it'll go away, it'll just get chilly. Which is just as bad as going away. And a marriage that's chilly is just as bad as a marriage that doesn't exist. People that stay together for the kids. You're not doing the kids any favor to show them a chilly marriage. You need to fire it up some. (laughs) You need to desire one another again. Well, that means I'll have to get past some hurt and some bitterness and some pain. Yes, 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 you will. Yes, you'll have to forgive. Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah. You'll have to bury some hatchets. You'll have to deal with some stuff. You'll have to... See, this, this, this is why God's not content with his relationship with you being chilly. Because when you're, when, when you're chilly, when you're far, you can keep all these little hurts against him. There's that time he wasn't there for me. I don't know where God was then. Yeah, this is not true, but it's what we believe. And so you, we, we can hold all this stuff. But if you're really going to get close, if you're going to stick with them, you're going to have to release all of that and say, wait a minute. His word says he's there for me. and never leaves me. His word says he loves me. His word says he desires me. I'm going to choose to believe that. So if you're here today, I just want to offer to you first and foremost to receive the love of God. Would you pray with me? Uh, let's, let's all pray together. If you're, if you're wanting to receive the love of God, If you're wanting to receive and enter into a relationship with him. I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit, who is also a bit of a persuader, (laughs) a bit of a pathos, comes alongside your heart and teaches you how to pathos yourself. How to believe that he really does love you, he really is for you. And he really is offering you intimacy with him. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been away, intimacy is available for you right now, no matter how old you are. You don't have to change right now. You don't have to change right now. He can do the changing. He can do the work. He's the surgeon. All you have to do is receive. And as the scripture said, believe in Jesus. To put your faith in Jesus. So if that's you, would you, watching online in the house, would you just, just begin to confess that to him? I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you are who you say that you are. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again for my forgiveness, And I trust in you, not in my righteousness. I'm going to stop making excuses for my failures. And I'm just going to commit them to you. I'm going to confess them to you. I'm going to let you deal with it. I'm going to let you change me wherever you want to change me. I'm going to let you work in me. In Jesus' name. And Lord, for those here who have been walking with you for a while, I pray that you would empower their hearts. Empower their hearts to be seduced by you to be soothed by you and to stick, to stick with you, to stay with you in spite of all that the world is throwing at them and even their own heart is churning against them. Give us the power to be children of God. As many as believed in him, to them he gave power to become sons of God, even to those who believed in his name. We thank you for that power. In Jesus' name we pray.